0: This is a letter given to somebody, actually written to someone else in our fellowship, uh, not directed to me. But uh, it is computer generated because I've seen the same letter to somebody else. I've been in the mountains for the last four days waiting upon the Lord with your needs upon my heart. Maybe you've gotten the same letter. The Lord awakened me two different times last night and spoke to me about your personal needs and your special blessing. Now it goes on. When the Lord woke me up the first time, he gave me a word of knowledge about you. I saw fear and anxiety deep in your innermost being that kept you from flowing freely in the Spirit. I hope you won't mind my sharing all of this with you, but it's exactly what the Lord helped me see. You wanted to flow in the Spirit, but uncertainty kept creeping up which hindered you from experiencing the freedom and the victory that God has for you. And other things are shared in the letter, and it says the way to overcome this is, first of all, for three days, anoint your tongue with a small portion of the salt that I've sent you. Fill out the prayer slip. Send a $100 gift, and God will provide Another one to um, another friend of mine says, as I was praying for you, all of a sudden I sensed the presence of God. It was as if God himself was standing right here beside me. I felt so burdened for you and for your needs. I said, oh God, how can I reach out and touch my partner? Then like a flash it came to me that I could reach out to you through this holy anointing oil and that God could touch you in five ways. Number one, financially. Number two, physically. Number three, spiritually. Interesting lineup, isn't it? That spiritually is put third. And it says the way to do this again is send him 50 bucks. Because he says he's in such financial need. Of course, the logical question is, why don't you use your own anointing oil on yourself if you have such a financial need? Or your own salt? Another letter is a little bit different. It is a, a, not a computer letter, but is written on a typewriter and, and uh, copied and sent to uh, several people in the city. It's, it says, Notice to a sinful nation and a sinful city its people, all the nations of the earth, I, the prophet Israel, ordained by Almighty God. I want to underscore that. Uh, this, the final day in prophecy, inform this nation, the United States of America, the city of Albuquerque, that the wrath of Almighty God is upon you. For Albuquerque, God has ordained, among other things, the tragedy of divorce. Now, a red flag should go up automatically when somebody says, God has ordained for you the tragedy of divorce. There is a prophet in the land, speaking of himself, ready to invoke and such as execute the judgment of a holy and jealous and rage, wrathful, almighty God. Attack not this anointed prophet of the Lord, the prophet Israel, for the rock of God can grind you to powder, and the lake of fire shall be your destiny." In other words, don't come against me or God will kick you. Signed, the prophet Israel with full power and complete authority. Now there's a thread that runs through all these letters. Here's the thread. God spoke to me to give you a message And if you want to be blessed, you get blessed through me, send me the money of course, and don't challenge my authority because God sent me. Now on one hand, you want to be open, right? You want to say, okay, maybe God really did speak and I want to be open enough. If God is speaking through this prophet and has a message for me, then Lord, reveal it to me. On the other hand, the oldest trick in the book is to say, God told me to tell you, so if you argue with what I'm saying, you're arguing against God. That's the oldest trick in the book. It removes you completely from human accountability, which is what people want many times. And then you can say anything you want to because, after all, I'm God's anointed messenger. That scenario was not uncommon in the early church. First of all, there was an amazing spread of authentic spiritual gifts, prophets and messages throughout the early church as the Holy Spirit was birthing a new work in different places throughout the world. On the other hand, there were false prophets who came, counterfeits, who purported to speak in the name of the Lord. And there was an entire book, as we have mentioned before, written against this called the Didache, or a manual by the 12 disciples, how to treat or inspect to see if somebody is a false prophet. There seems to be a hint of this same kind of a problem even in this young church at Thessalonica. Let's read verse 19 and then through 22 together. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. In those few short verses, we have the will of God as we meet together to discern the working of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Verses 16 through 18 speaks of the will of God for daily living. We covered that last week. Verses 19 through 22 is the will of God for discerning living. And so I've entitled this message, Learn to Discern. This was a growing church. They saw a lot of incredible things happen already. They had seen the working of the Holy Spirit in this growing church. Some, however, were doubtful that what was erupting was really a work of God, that certain messages given or certain spiritual phenomena was really the Spirit of God. They doubted it, they were close to it. On the other side of the coin, there were people who just allowed everything and anything and blamed it all on God. You often have two extremes within the church, much like this. I've shared with you before how that, when we first started over at the Far North Cinema Theater, and a person came to us after Sunday morning service and said, enjoyed the service immensely, but I don't think I can come because you're not charismatic enough. The church is not a charismatic church. There was no spiritual gifts today that were on operation. I said, Well, have you ever heard of the gift of teaching, the gift of administration, the gift of exhortation, as seen by the worship group? Oh, yeah, but that's not what I meant. And, and, and I said, Well, I know that's not what you meant. That's my point. A week or two later, someone came up and said, Love the church, but I don't think I can come here. It's too charismatic. I saw people actually raising their hands. And some of them standing up. That's just too a little, it's too wild for me. Paul, with beautiful balance, says, Okay, on one hand, don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Don't quench the Spirit, but don't go overboard and attribute every single thing to the Holy Spirit. Test it, and then hold fast to what is good, and abhor that which is evil. One of the marks of a mature Christian is discernment. He's open, but he's not too open. He's open-minded, but he won't let his mind become a garbage dump for everyone who wants to write a letter and say, Thus says the Lord. He uses discernment, and he tests it with something very objective, very non-changing. It's called the Bible. He's not afraid to do that because he believes that the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The late Dr. F.B. Meyer said that one time he was on a journey on a ship sailing across the ocean. They were coming into a harbor at night, He was perplexed because he saw this vast array of lights in front of him and wondered how on earth the captain could navigate safely into such a harbor with such a confusing array of lights. The captain said, It's very easy. Come up top, I'll show you. He said, Notice over here amidst all these lights there's a prominent light, and then a little bit over to the right there's another one, and even farther still there's another light. Now watch what happens. And as they came in and made this turn and turned back, The light on the left started lining up slowly as he got closer and closer with the light in the middle. made another turn, kept going a little further, and the third light lined up till all three lights merged as one. He said, I can tell because they all line up together. I might not be able to see and understand all that I'm doing, but I know when I line up those three lights, I'm dead on target. And so must we line up everything we hear, everything we read with the light of the Word of God. As we sang today, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path." So as we go through this text this morning, we want to look at these three things. By the way, there's three directives that are given. Do not quench the Spirit is the first one. Do not despise prophecies is the second one. Test all things is the third. Everything that comes after that defines that last directive. And so I've uh, kind of outlined it this way, stop stifling the Spirit. That's the first verse. Stop stifling the Spirit, and then stop suppressing prophecy, and then start searching the Scripture. That's basically what Paul says. First of all, verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. The word quench means to put a fire out, to put out a fire that is blazing. Now You remember in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit appeared and manifested Himself. Upon the 120 in the upper room, how? In the form of tongues of fire. John the Baptist, speaking of Jesus Christ, said he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So fire becomes a symbol of the Spirit of God. Do not put out the fire or stifle the fire of the Spirit of God in your midst. Fire is something that is powerful, it gives warmth, and it gives light. He's saying there's a work that God wants to do in your life and in your midst as a congregation. Don't put that fire out. Don't stifle, or as he says here, quench not the Spirit. Perhaps what was happening at Thessalonica is the same thing that was happening at Corinth, only it was received a little bit differently. Remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this long section because this church has abused spiritual gifts. There were these manifestations of spiritual gifts in the congregation. A tongue suddenly in a congregational meeting. A prophecy, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a teaching. And it got really haywire because they were going overboard without checking these things or testing these things. On the other side of the coin is what is happening at Thessalonica, and that is there's people that are absolutely close-minded to anything that would smack of the supernatural in their midst. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Now, how can the Holy Spirit's fire be quenched? I think there are two basic ways, two sides of the spectrum, two groups of people with two different attitudes that can quench the Holy Spirit. The first approach I will call the wet blanket approach. As soon as the fire is burning, quick, put it out. Don't investigate it to see if it's of God. Just put it out. Why? Well, because I don't believe those things happen anymore. We call these people cessationists because they believe every Supernatural manifestation has just ceased. It happened in the early church, the apostolic era. This is the post-apostolic era. God don't do that anymore. And so they're closed to the spirit. This whole thinking, by the way, came about from Dr. B.B. Warfield, quite a scholar, late 1800s, early 1900s, a Princeton scholar, strict Calvinist, who believed that what happened in the early church is never in any way to be duplicated. Thus, the miraculous has ceased. You know, it's sad when you mention the Holy Spirit to some people, they just tighten up. It's put up the shields, lock in phasers. The enemy's coming. We don't buy that anymore. We don't believe that anymore. And they're completely closed to it. Why? Well, Because of the abuses. They have seen weird stuff in the name of the Lord. Thus, they conclude as they conjure up all these wild images of swinging from chandeliers and rolling down the aisles and frothing, they think, I don't want to do that. You know that you never need to be afraid of a genuine work of the Holy Spirit? The one thing we should be fearful of is that we're not open enough in our own lives to a true working of the Holy Spirit. One Christian leader said, Christianity in North America is 3,000 miles wide and a half an inch deep. Very widespread, but very shallow. And it's true as you look at many of the churches around our country, they're dying. They've erected those strong walls to keep people in, but in doing so, those same walls have kept many people out. They're not seeing people coming to Jesus Christ on an ongoing basis. The life isn't there anymore. One of the true signs that the Holy Spirit is truly moving is the conviction of sin and the drawing of that person to Jesus Christ. There's excitement because of that. New birth is happening. It's true revival. It's a true work of the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. In 1908, there was a letter from Scottish missionaries to Manturi. Obviously, it wasn't a letter written to me, being in 1908. But it was a letter sent back to the home base in Scotland about this strange new thing that was happening with these missionaries. They were Presbyterians. They were very strict, staid, stalwart kind of people. They said, quote, a power has come into the church that we cannot control. Even if we would, it is a miracle. For stolid, self-righteous John Chinaman to go out of his way to confess to sins that no torture of the yamen could force from him. For a Chinaman to demean himself, to crave weeping the prayers of his fellow believers is beyond all human explanation. Perhaps you'll say it's a sort of religious hysteria. So did some of us. But here we are, about sixty Scottish and Irish Presbyterians who have seen it all shades of temperament. And, much as many of us shrank from it at first, everyone who has seen and heard what we have every day last week is certain that there's only one explanation, and that is God's Holy Spirit is manifesting Himself. It is possible to be so closed to a working of the Spirit that you quench, you put out His fire when He's trying to ignite it. Now I quickly want to say there's another approach that I think can also quench the Holy Spirit. I will call this the Molotov cocktail approach. These are the people on the other side of the spectrum, the thrill seekers. Oh, they're not scared of the Holy Spirit. They're looking for explosions to happen. And they want anything that is free of any structure at all to happen and anything, as even if it's really weird. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. Let it flow. And if you try to bring in any scriptural balance, they'll say, don't quench the Spirit. I'm not quenching the Spirit. I'm quenching your Spirit because you're quenching the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit makes people holy, not goofy. He's not called the goofy Spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit. And a person who's open to any kind of phenomena at all without checking it against the Scripture, is quenching the Holy Spirit. The Molotov cocktail approaches, let it explode. Don't check it, don't test it. Because then you're quenching the Spirit. No. Remember that when Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthian church, the ones he was directing it against were those who believed in the use of the gifts of the Spirit without checking them. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. These are the people who had stuff happening all the time in their assemblies. But they were ignorant of the total operation of the Spirit of God. There have been people who have come in our assembly. And even on a Sunday morning, right in the middle of a message, one will stand up, Shandala, shandala, shandala. And all, of course, turns back to see this person shouting in this unknown ecstatic utterance. An usher will quickly come by, gently if possible, forcibly if necessary, have the person quiet or go out the back. You're quenching the Spirit. Don't you believe in this thing? Hey, I believe in tongues, prophecy, Word of Wisdom, Word of Knowledge, all the gifts of the Spirit. But it doesn't make any sense. Either intellectually or biblically, for the Holy Spirit to interrupt himself. If he is using a gift of teaching or a gift of exhortation or a gift of administration to cause confusion, to circumvent his activity by interrupting himself with something else, the people go, "What was that? I don't want?" That makes sense. And it's not a biblical precedent. The true evidence of the Holy Spirit is that, as Paul said, let all things be done. But let them be done decently and in order. And the idea Paul was getting across is that the Holy Spirit comes in your life. He makes you holy. He makes you like Christ. And he gives you power to glorify not you, but Jesus Christ in your life. There was a man in England walking through the fields. He noticed in the horizon what looked like a man holding a hand water pump, pumping pumping the water out of the ground. And the guy was pumping on and on, furiously, up and down, without stopping, without slowing. And it impressed him so much, he walked closer. The closer he got, he noticed this really isn't a man. It's a wooden figure painted to look like a man, with a hinge at the elbow and the hand wired to the pump. The man wasn't pumping the well. The water was pumping the man. It was an artesian well. A true work of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to pump and try to manufacture it. It is self evident, and he will propel you. You don't have to propel him. You just got to keep your hand on the pump. Jesus said, The Holy Spirit will come, and you'll be having torrents of living water flow through you. So, first thing stop suppressing or stop stifling the Spirit. Next verse do not despise prophecies, or I've called it stop suppressing prophecy. The word prophecy here, prophetia, one who speaks for God, somebody who brings a message for God. The word despise means to count as nothing, to count as nothing or to hold in contempt. Apparently the one gift that this church at Thessalonica was against was prophetic utterances. Somebody bringing the Word of God, either through a message like this or a spontaneous gift of prophecy in a certain context. And they were quenching it. They were holding, saying, no, we won't allow any of this to happen. Paul's saying, don't hold them in contempt. Don't despise the gift of prophecy. Remember in the book of Acts, Peter, when a phenomena occurred in the church, people were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Jew said, what is this? And I love Peter's answer. He said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, who said, In the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will what? Prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. There are some that are not open to God in this area at all, of prophecy, of a word of God coming through a person. I understand in one sense their hesitation. I, too, have seen it abused. I bet you've seen it abused. Wait, I'm getting a message from God. Thus saith the Lord, there's 20 people with $10,000 each. Well, you better not disobey God. I was given a Bible study one time in a home. Before the study, as people were coming in, I noticed one guy and I just thought, he's a little goofy, I can just tell. I don't know, call it discernment, call it skepticism, but something didn't set right. He was just kind of eccentric in his movements. He sat down. Soon a girl came up to me, sitting next to him, who said, Skip, please help me with this character. He keeps saying, thus saith the Lord, God has told me that you're supposed to marry me. Now that's an interesting way to propose to a girl, isn't it? That's a new one. You know, take yourself out of the rejection possibility. You just reject God if you say no. Thus saith the Lord, marry me. And uh, then he came up and, It is the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. She's supposed to marry me. She said, There's a big problem with that. Held up her left hand. I've got a ring on it. I'm already married. You know what he said? He said, Then you married the wrong man. And you better dump him and marry me. No kidding. I booted him out very, very quickly. We've seen it abused. In the Old Testament, there were prophets. There were spokesmen. A prophet was somebody who spoke a message for another person. The messages from God through these prophets came sometimes directly, sometimes in a dream, sometimes in a vision, sometimes they came through visual aids. Ezekiel had so many odd ways of portraying a message of God so that the people around him unmistakably saw that this was a message from the Lord. But I noticed in the Old Testament several times that when God called a prophet, most of them said, get somebody else, or who am I? I can't do it. And you wonder, why were these people so reluctant? Well, listen to the job description in Deuteronomy 18. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You will not bear Him in your midst. You'll get rid of Him by death. So you can see the reluctance people would have to say, The Lord told me. You better make sure the Lord told you that that wasn't a pepperoni pizza you had the night before, that this is the Word of God and a message of God, because if you're wrong, Jack, then death happens. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there was also prophecy. Though the prophecy in the New Testament was more foretelling of the Word of God rather than foretelling. It did have prophetic or futuristic tendencies. Agabus in the book of Acts spoke about the future with great detail. But for the most part, the prophets that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 were those who had this spontaneous message or utterance from God for that group of people that they were with. And there were certain guidelines for it. And they spoke forth the Word of God. Some people think it's more mystical, I think, than it it really is in operation. Some people think, well, I've never had that gift, I've never gone into a trance, I've never zoned out in the Spirit. And I don't necessarily think that it has to be something like, Luke, use the force, Luke. (laughs) I think it can be very natural, yet supernaturally God moves through you. Some of you have actually experienced that in a certain context. The gift of prophecy working. But there are guidelines that are given for it. In 1 Corinthians 14, without going through the whole chapter, he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. That's how it's going to come. Edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. And so, when somebody comes along and says, Thus saith the Lord, you rotten failure. I go, well, is that comfort? No. Uh, Exhortation? Not true exhortation. Is that, uh, no, that's condemnation. Because it should be given not only accurately, but in the spirit of Jesus Christ himself. And some people will abuse this gift because they just have a hang-up. And they're looking for a platform to vent their insecurity in the name of the Lord. That's why I love the Bible. It says, test all things, hold fast to that which is good. And that's where we come to now. So on one hand, stop stifling the Spirit. Stop suppressing prophecies. Start searching the Scriptures. Do not despise prophecies. Verse 21, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Here's the balance. We ought to be open to the Holy Spirit. But we should see if it really is the Holy Spirit that we're being open to. There needs to be something objective to test all of the experience, words, books, whatever, letters, up against to say, boy, that really matches up. I receive that as a word of the Lord for my life or for our congregation. The New Testament never encourages anyone to blindly follow somebody who claims to speak in the name of the Lord without checking it. Test it. Listen to them. But test it. Best example? Bereans. Paul went to Thessalonica, started a church, got kicked out, left at night. The town he went to next was Berea. And Paul wrote an interesting little commentary on his visit to Berea after Thessalonica. He said, those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind, but searched the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. This is how it happened. That was a great message Paul gave. Oh, Silas was red hot today, wasn't he? Yeah, it was great. Hey, let's go home and make sure they're right. Let's search the Bible, the scriptures. He was quoting some of the Old Testament. Let's look it up. Yeah, but he's, he's Paul the apostle. Don't go against God's anointed. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to search the scriptures. And Paul commended them for it. They received the word of God, but they searched the scriptures to see if those things be so. That's what he's commanding here. Test all things. Dokimazo uh, uh, is the word. I've got it actually written in Greek, so I get messed up on it. It means to put something to a test in order to approve it. Put it to the test to see if it's really genuine. If it's genuine, hold on to that which is good. Reject or abhor that which is evil. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there's an example of this. He says, those who are prophets, let two or three of them speak and the others judge. Literally scrutinize, pass a judgment on what they say. Let them speak, but let others judge them to approve to see if it's actually accurate. Would you turn with me to First John chapter four. There are many other scriptures like this, but I think this really sort of sums up or adds to what uh, Paul is writing in First Thessalonians. First John, chapter four. Verse one: "Beloved, do not believe every spirit." But test the spirits whether they are of God. Now, why should we test? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If I was to loosely paraphrase that, you'd say, hey, guys, don't believe everything you hear. Check it out. Check it out with the Scripture. Make sure that it lines up, that all those lights go together. Just don't blindly follow it. Check it out. If it matches, then go for it. So just cause a guy wears a collar, writes a book, has a successful television or radio ministry or uh, is really charismatic in what he does or he blows on people and they fall over, whatever, test all things. Believe not every spirit, but test them because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How did Jesus say the false prophets come? Did he say, hey, they're going to knock on your door in wolves clothing and they're going to say, hi, I'm your neighborhood false prophet. Listen uh, I'd like to deceive you if you got 10, 20 minutes. Now beware, they come in what? Sheep's clothing. They got a disguise on. They're not going to open the door and go, Bruh. they're going to go, bah. go, hey, it's a sheep. I've got to be open, I've got to be loving. I might as well, they said Jesus, they said God, I must believe everything they say. No, you must not believe everything they say. That was a problem in the early church. Because people tacked Jesus or God onto what they say, people said, don't judge them. Paul says, judge them, test them, scrutinize what they say, make sure it matches up with the scripture. Just because they write books and scriptures are in the books, hey, Satan quoted scripture. And here's the idea, be open. Don't quench the Spirit, don't cast down prophecies as something that's wrong, but know the Word of God enough that you can test all those things by that criteria. Basic point, eat well, eat good stuff, have a good solid diet of the Word of God and you'll know God's truth so that when something comes up you can say, not good, good. We always teach our kids to eat right. We want them to examine everything before they put it into their mouth, right? We teach them, hey, if a stranger comes up to you and gives you candy, don't eat it. It's got to be examined. I've told you how I came home one time and I was in the dining room and I looked over and when Nathan was still in his crawler, I saw him only too late because he was on the other side of the room as he picked up a dead cockroach and put it in his mouth and chewed on it. Nathan, test all things. (laughs) Hold fast to what is good. Spit out that which is evil. Remember the Wizard of Oz? She thought it was that great wizard face speaking to her. All of a sudden, Toto opened up the curtain and she saw, Hey, wait a minute. Let me get to the source of this voice. It's this little wimpy guy behind the curtain. I've been taken all this time. Hey, get to the source of the voice. I want to kind of bring this to a close by giving you practically four tests that you can apply to anything you read or hear that purports to be in the name of God. It'll work every time. Number one is a theological test, meaning it will never contradict the already given prophecies of the Scripture. It has to match up to the Scripture. Paul says in Galatians 1, I marvel that you are so soon turning away from Him who called you to another gospel. But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Strong language. Theological test. Secondly, an emphasis test. What is the emphasis of the message? Does it exalt Jesus? Does it point to Jesus? Is it in the spirit of Jesus Christ? Is it with the character of Jesus? Building up, stirring up, cheering up. Third, a moral test. What does the life of that person giving it testify to? What is the result in the lives of those people who are listening? Does it make them more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Are they different than their message? Remember, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets. You will know them by their message or by their fruits, right? By their fruits, by what their life produces. So next time you are lovingly testing what somebody says and they come along and say, you can't do that, judge not. Say, I'm not judging you, I'm a fruit inspector. (laughs) And I notice that your life does or does not match up to this. It's a moral test. Again, please, this must be done with an openness to the Spirit of God. I think that we should have the same attitude as our legal system should have, innocent until proven guilty. You are not the gospel gestapo or the God Squad and here I am I'm sent to watchdog everybody's motion and movements and point fingers at them if you approach with that situation you've already been defeated you have gotta say "Hey, yeah, I'm open I don't want to quench the spirit I'm open to what God would say but then I'm gonna test it with these things and then finally the accuracy test if they say something's gonna happen if it doesn't happen that God didn't tell them something God doesn't so oops, goofed. So when the Jehovah Witnesses in 1914 said Jesus would come back that year, and he didn't, and they say, well, actually, it's not 1914, it's 1918, and that didn't happen. Then 1925, they said he's coming back, and that didn't happen, and they have several dates after that. One can conclude over and over again that a false prophet was involved very easily without passing any kind of condemning, judgmental uh, c- kind of a verdict. It's just... I see the fruit. It didn't come to pass. It's not true. Donald G., a Pentecostal scholar, I've really loved his work, said this, to sum it all up. All word and no spirit, and you will dry up. All spirit and no word, you'll blow up. Enough of both, and you will grow up. Enough of both and you will grow up. A man once wrote a letter to John Wesley, great evangelist. And the letter said, Dear Mr. Wesley, the Lord has a message for you from me. God told me to tell you he doesn't need your Greek and your Hebrew and your book learning. Wesley wrote him back, Thank you, sir. Your letter was superfluous, however, as I already know that the Lord has no need for my book learning as you put it. However, although the Lord has not directed me to say so, on my own responsibility, I'd like to say to you that the Lord doesn't need your ignorance either. (laughs) It is not a virtue to say, hey, let's not test everything. Let's just love one another. Let's just forget about doctrine. Love is tied to the truth. You have to love the truth or it's not true love. If I saw you with your children and you let your children run on the freeway and pick up any knife they wanted to and do absolutely everything, I love my kids, I just want them to do whatever they want, I would conclude you don't love your kids. If you loved your kids, your love would set parameters on it because you want to preserve the life of your children. So Paul says, don't quench the Spirit, don't put out its fire. You can do it a couple different ways, the wet blanket approach or the Molotov cocktail approach. Either way, the result is the same. Don't despise prophecies, but take everything and test it. And then what comes out that is genuine? Hold fast if it's good and abhor that which is evil.